Hi friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, SheCast episode 50, and I'm here with Anthony Folks, and I'm really excited for you all to hear from him. Uh, we met on campus at the University of Michigan, and he is about to embark on a new journey as a professional and a graduate student. So I'll let you introduce, I'll let him introduce himself in his own words, and welcome to the show. Hi, Tadima. It's great to be here. Um, I am a grad student here at the University of Michigan. I will be studying higher education through our School of Education and then public policy through our school, uh, Ford School of Public Policy. Uh, and so it's two masters, but they come together to really form a cohesive program that is built around understanding uh, a lot of higher educational issues uh, in a public policy sense, so working on policy measures with policymakers and then also at an institutional level too. I love that. That's one of the reasons, friends, I thought he would be perfect to come on the show. So last week we heard from another student who got her master's in public health and she was talking about how she was able to navigate uh, the financial burden that can come to students in terms of both undergraduate and graduate and professional education. And so I thought that this would be a perfect follow-up conversation on what we talked about last week and what you all heard last week. So Anthony, one of the reasons I was so, so I got an email saying that uh, Anthony was staying on as a student employee, but also was his wings were expanding, right, um, as he starts to navigate as a graduate and professional student. And I was just so proud. And so I asked him, what are you studying? And then he started to tell me what he's studying, which he'll get into because that's definitely his lane and it's not mine. But I was completely fascinated um, because I think one of the things that one of the reasons I started this podcast, right, was because of the circus of an election cycle that we all endured for I don't know, 18 months, it started to all blend together at the end. And then we got an administration change in November. Well, it actually went into effect in January, but um, in November, a lot of people were feeling a lot of different ways. And uh, then come January, we started to see a lot of executive orders. And I'm not saying that they were more than previous administrations. Yet what I am saying is that the impact was significant. Um, and I think sometimes people forget that when we're talking of executive orders and policies, right, Anthony, we're talking about human lives that are affected by this. So when someone is adamant about repealing the Affordable Care Act, millions of people are affected if that were to be the case, uh, especially if it's replaced with something as flimsy as the, I don't know what the other one, it's like a play on each of them, <laughs> like is, yeah. it, I think it's AHCA or it's, um, affordable health care, Amer- American yeah. health care. Yes, yeah, something. So I think it's AHAC. No, AHCA. Yeah. Something. Friends, forgive me. We're both exhausted. <laughs> um, so people are affected. So tell me a little bit more, or and tell us a little bit more about what you're studying what that actually really means and why you're studying it. Because I suspect it's because it's really important, but I would love to hear what you think. 
Yeah, so I am studying the large branch of higher educational public policy, and that can range from any issue that deals with a higher educational institution in the in the policy sphere. Uh, so it can be a large amount of topics, but the ones that I'm very focusedly narrowing in on to kind of become a master at uh, are student access issues according to their financial aid uh, and their financial situations that they come into. Um, a lot of colleges, uh, unlike certain other sectors, public and private colleges are receiving funds from the government. And this plays a large role in who can go to university, who can get a higher educational degree, um, or who can get post-secondary education, including community colleges or technical schools. And a, a large part of my interest in this stems from my own time as an undergrad, um, dealing with these same kind of issues and dealing with uh, being a first-generation student, it's very hard to navigate these financial situations that pop up, uh, and it's very easy for other students, um, which is a weird twist where those whose parents who have gone to college probably already have enough money to go to college for their own student, and but they know how to go through the system, so the knowledge doesn't really transfer down, um, and it's a very complex system. And it is not an easy system for those who are first generation or those who do not have the resources at hand to understand. It can take really a, a practically a law degree or a policy degree to fully understand uh, grants and aids uh, on an actual basic level. Totally. Yeah, no, I love what you just shared and thank you for sharing that bit about being a first-generation student because it's not something that's been my personal experience and yet I can empathize or see um, how this could be a difficult um, thing to navigate and so I'll say in terms of sharing a little bit about my life if you are a longtime listener you know that my I'm a child of immigrants, and so my parents came to this country from Nigeria. They came, albeit the proper channels, they're now naturalized citizens, and I always feel like I have to add that in today's climate, uh, sadly. That said, they both have advanced degrees. Um, both my parents hold PhDs, and my father, actually, I was saying it incorrectly, I thought he had three masters, he has four. Um, I don't know what this fourth one, where that came from and how I missed it, but <laughs> it's there. And uh, so, and my mom has a master's and obviously they both have bachelor's degrees. And I say this to say that even though they were well-educated when they got to the U.S., it still was a little bit more of a challenge than it was for other students whose parents were American-born to navigate financial aid and what that looked like. Uh, especially when my immigrant parents were banking on the fact that all of us would get full rides, which that is not what happened. Um, we weren't as diligent as we could have been. And my brother actually did get a full ride to U of M Law School. Um, that said, you know, navigating finances, and finances hold a lot of emotional baggage as well. 
Um, there's oftentimes shame associated with if you don't have enough money. And so the very people that need it, it always baffles me that, you know, celebrities are given free products, right? Mm-hmm. Because they have a platform. And so if they wear something, hopefully it translates to increased sales for someone. But they're the ones who can afford it. Whereas someone else who doesn't isn't a celebrity, right, can't generally navigate or have... <laughs> Not that they need a thousand dollar handbag either, right? I'm not suggesting that or five thousand pair dollar pair of shoes or something like that. But it's always interesting to me that people comp the people who can afford mm-hmm. the very thing that they're being comped, whereas people who actually need resources are not, and they're really held responsible. And so that's why I, I definitely don't like the term self-made. Or bootstraps, like pulling people up from the bootstraps, right? Because if you are first generation, that means that no one else went to school, uh, went to a for through a formal education process, right? Prior to you, and so you were able to, and had to, not able to, had to navigate the system. So let me ask you something, Anthony. When you were applying for FAFSA Mm -hmm. back in the day, right, four years ago, maybe. Did you get help from your family? So, applying for FAFSA is a little bit trickier because you have to have your family. Like, you sure. have to have your parents' income on there. They want to know. Um, and, and what's actually really tricky about it is coming from a family um, that's been divorced for most of my life since I've been two, but my dad is still involved in my life but hasn't been involved financially sure. and, and the courts say that after age 18 he doesn't have to be so how does that play into the FAFSA does does his income impact that sure um and it's and it kind of plays in this really hard role where you're trying to accurately reflect your situation to the government so that they can apply the proper aid and funding um but it doesn't always work out mm-hmm. in a way that fits all families Sure. And all situations. Something that happened was my mom lost her job midway um, through my freshman year, and that greatly impacted what would be my aid. But because of how the FAFSA works, because she still had half a year of work for that year, the FAFSA had to count that um, in my sophomore year applying. And that impacted my aid where I should have been getting federal grant money. Um, I couldn't do that because of how it calculated where her what job it looked was. like sure yeah. even though that job was no longer a part but at one point it was a, it part, was a part and so they factored and yeah, yeah no totally makes sense so as a student that you know had some unfortunate circumstances even throughout matriculation how was it um in terms of you I guess because looking at it as a human you're a human being and complete in picture a holistic approach how did it affect you emotionally and how did it affect you academically? Emotionally, it, it makes it more difficult to socialize at sure. times. You have to watch how you're socializing. You Do you mean by like how you're spending money? How you're spending yeah. money with your friends. For sure. Um, and a lot of times on, on certain campuses, socializing here at the University of Michigan means going out. Um, and participating uh, at bars or restaurants and 
while that's really great and a lot of people can do that, um, you have to then reflect, like, instead of going to this restaurant, maybe we can go to this other smaller, maybe less expensive, less ex- sure. less expensive joint. Um, or instead of going out, you guys are just staying in and playing board games and stay and, and kind of recreating or redefining what fun is or how you can socialize. Yeah. And, and that's really, really important to find a group of people who are there to support you. And that can, and that can mean people who are not part of your socioeconomic uh, class mm-hmm. because people who, I have several friends who are wealthier and then don't use that wealth to then instill the need for other people to live up to their standards. Yeah. Um, and it just is, a, it takes a little bit of cognizance from all parties in sure. the situation. But academically, it it causes a great stress. I graduated in three years. Um, wow. That but, is so awesome. Friends, can we just pause? That gave me goosebumps. He graduated from the University of Michigan and did well, like really well, to be accepted to School of Education, higher ed program, and the Ford School of Public Policy. In three years, he'd graduated. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So he just graduated this... Um, in April, yeah, last month, April. right? Yeah. Um, but that was not... So obviously <laughs> we're recording this pretty early. <laughs> Caveat. True. Um, but obviously that's not... Like, I could have gone four years sure. if I had that money, but that money was not around. Um, and to avoid taking up upwards of a lot of loans um, and trying to reel that back in because I knew I was going to go to graduate school... Um, that was important for me to understand um, in my academics I needed to be focused and I took extra credits I never took less than 14 credits a semester wow. um, until this last uh, winter semester where I took 14 so wow awesome um, so thank you I, it's not always easy to talk about finances I was not my parents do well mm-hmm did well they're retired now um financially i'm also from ann arbor and i was not wise with (laughs) my money so i do understand i am now but i do understand how money causes emotional unrest Mm -hmm. sometimes especially when you have that coupled with um socializing and just wanting to be with peers and friends um, and social supports and then also the academic piece right because we are more than our GPA absolutely and at the same time things have an impact um, you know whether it's a invisible illness that some other people can't see right Um, financial worry and concern um, anything else you know just not understanding the material there's so many things that needing to work another job you Mm -hmm. know some students work with school and some students don't have to because they have funds you know um so it all just kind of depends and yet we're still allotted the same Mm -hmm. amount of time in a week right i think it's 168 hours and the same requirements to graduate are there whether you're work a working student or not yeah. um, whether your family has 
all of the money in the world or whether you don't. So that is, you know, kind of just how life, uh, life goes. So what made you, was it your own situation or was it just additional? So what was your undergrad degree in? Economics and Asian studies. Oh, interesting. Okay. Have you ever been to Asia? I did. I went to China for 10 weeks. Nice. Yeah. So I, uh, did a, um, a homestay, uh, and then did intensive Chinese language study there in Nanjing, China. Okay. Do you speak Chinese? I do a little bit. Very I, cool. I, they they say like, oh, you're fluent after you surpass a certain level sure. of classes. And I'm like, no, I'm not fluent. Not no. at all, right? That's awesome. Yeah. That's it's, so it's, cool. It was a great language. Good. Um, to learn. So what made you decide to pursue additional uh, edu- formal education and why those particular fields? And I think that stems from my undergrad. So sure. I went into economics very early. Um, freshman year, I declared. And that's not an easy degree. Not an easy degree here, no. It's the second lowest GPA in the School of Literature, Science, and the Arts. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, right at math and then that. <laughs> sure. Um, but it's because the classes are a little bit more difficult. The grading is a little different. GPA is really just a made-up number across different schools and stuff. It really doesn't matter in the whole end scheme of things. But um, economics is not the easiest. And once I went into economics here, I was disillusioned by how we would brush things aside. Um, And we would just say, like, well, that doesn't matter. It doesn't really fit the model. Um, But what you're trying to do is figure out where this can apply in the real world. And so that's where public policy really comes into place. Um, Policies and policy makers can be mostly political scientists or lawyers, but those those who study public policy, they are the people who meld um, economic reasoning and research with policy to make informed decisions so that politicians can then go and implement them. Uh, And I wanted to be there to help with that because I felt that I understood the models but I really wanted to dig deeper um, and understand how to impact um, in a more critical way and more thoughtful and Asian studies was a degree that just happened upon me as I was studying Chinese I fell in love with studying Asia and it really opened my mind up to experiences of other people noticing how others are treated around the world um and noticing how when you go into a different country they have their own conceptions and their own ideals and their own cultures that may or may not live up to the stereotypes um and so that that gave me the idea that it really is important to combine something that's very hard like economics or poli-sci or political science or political science or public policy with something that really delves deeper into understanding people or best practices or cultures or um, the inner workings of institutions. And so that's where I wanted to go into higher education um, to really understand that side of it because that is more of a a human approach, um, really critically looking at uh, qualitative data rather than quantitative. Cool. Yeah, this, I mean, I really appreciate what you said about when people go overseas because 
I think one of the problems that we see is that, uh, I mean, I was just in a Facebook thread last week and one of my friends was really being attacked. She is from Nigeria and, you know, has proper documentation to be in this country. She too finished, she came over here at 14 and finished college by by 17. Amazing. And then she went to law school at 17 and finished by 20. Wow. And she's been practicing, I think, for two years. I I made her older than I think she is. I think she's 22, and <laughs> I thought she was 27. So, uh, you know, she provides a different lens um, to what's happening here. She sees mm-hmm. it differently than people who were born and raised in the U.S. And when people leave this country and go somewhere else you know even if it's a brief period of time they have a better understanding of not only this country but somewhere else Mm -hmm. right and i think sometimes the problem lies with people who are so focused and think that for example the u.s is the best and the greatest because they've never gone anywhere else they don't have anything with which to compare uh and i'm not saying this isn't a great place I'm not saying that this doesn't you know we do have a lot of opportunities that other places do not have and we have a lot of possibilities right and at the same time there's definitely room for growth because there's room for growth right it's no different than you or I as individuals like there's room for growth even if we're making progress even though you graduated school in three years right out of need Mm -hmm. uh you still did it and you did it well, well enough to get into a top 10, into two top 10 mm-hmm. call, you know, schools or colleges mm-hmm. on this campus. Uh, you still have room for yes. growth because you're still breathing, right? And you're a human. Same thing for me. And so I'm glad that you were able to kind of look at what you thought you would be experiencing in China and really taking what you actually did experience in China, mm-hmm. right? So that you can say, okay, what of this is true, right? And uh, and what can I let go because it, it doesn't really apply. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then bring that information and that experience back to here, you know, as you start studying yeah. uh, these things. So what exactly... So finances are barriers, and that's the main barrier that you're looking Mm -hmm. at, correct? Yes. Nothing else? There are a lot of access issues that play a role in people getting into higher education, and a lot of those are policy-related. Here at the University of Michigan, we have a long history with Prop 2, which was a Michigan initiative or ballot measure that got passed by the state that said that affirmative action measures could not be taken... um, in in admission processes. That is a policy issue that does prevent access to colleges throughout the state that are public institutions that receive money from the state. And that is not something that I'm looking at, but is a a large problem. And and it's something that is continually debated. um, But that that is in the realm of policy, sure. a different political issue than a financial issue. Sure. Yeah, that is, um, yeah, state and federal funding uh, was affected. What's interesting is when I worked for the University of Michigan last, uh, 
Oh my gosh, I'm dating myself. 17 years ago, I was a senior, and we were in the middle of doing a 10-year replication of uh, a survey um, that was implemented in 1990. Mm -hmm. And what it was, we were going back to students that had matriculated at that point to ask them about diversity and their Mm -hmm. experiences with diversity post-University of Michigan. Did it have it? What type of impact did it have on their lives, right? And overwhelmingly, people said they appreciated diversity. And so, diversity, friends, isn't just what we look like, our skin color. There's diversity to Anthony's point of socioeconomic status. And there's a lot. I don't know, though. There seem to be more diversity and socioeconomic diversity when I was initially a student here getting my bachelor's and my master's, but I don't know that that's still the case. Um, It has decreased. Right. I would would imagine that it has, uh, which is one of the reasons why your work is so important. So it turns out during that time, uh, two white women, one in the undergrad, she sued literature, science, and the arts, so we know it affectionately as LSNA, and another white woman sued the law school. Mm-hmm. And at the time, and still now, in terms of affirmative action, beneficiaries tend to be white women. Um, because if someone's going to hire someone, for example, they would rather <laughs> hire a white woman and say, okay, I've gotten my affirmative action, in quotes, taken care of by hiring a woman. Not necessarily an African-American woman or a woman of color or even a black man. So I'm just putting that out there. You can chew on that for a little bit. So these two women were suing the University of Michigan instead of the undergrad going to another school and transferring. That would be a very viable option. Um, Same thing for the woman in the law school. So they sued and from there, things definitely changed, but largely affirmative action was upheld at that point. Um, what was interesting was we had this data because of the study that we were doing. Uh, myself as um, as a research assistant, um, along with the my boss at the time, who's amazing, and she's now an associate provost here at U of M. But we had this data to say to the courts, here we here we go, you know. Now we have what people are saying. And then in addition, the um, military wrote an amicus brief, a friend brief. Um, Ford Foundation provided grant money at the time. So it is really interesting to have this research ongoing, and that's why University of Michigan is one of the best research institutions insofar as we always have bright minds like Anthony's that are working on something, you know, because you never know when you're going to need the information. So back to access and the specific access issues that you're mm-hmm. looking at. Something that is a really specific issue that's going to come up very soon is the cuts to the budget that Trump has proposed. Um, the now Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, was upholding these cuts, or, well, explaining these cuts to the 
to the members of the education committee and was trying to inform the American people about why the Trump administration and her office are going forward with the cuts proposed. But a lot of these changes, some good, the Pell Grant would be a year-long grant again. Um, The Pell Grant is probably the most common grant given to people who uh, need financial need, who meet financial need from the government. And it usually, um, most recently, has only been applied to those in the fall and winter semesters um, or the two largest semesters. Sure. But now, so not can, summer, correct? Not spring, spring summer. Yeah, not yeah. spring or summer. No time outside of like the two major semesters in a school year. Now can be applied year round. So if someone wants to continue studying into the summer, um, they can do so. And that's probably is that how you got through through four years of undergrad and three years? No, you didn't do any summer. I didn't do any summer. Okay, it's I, heavier course load during heavier the, course load than the years. two semesters. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because in during the summer, um, it's more expensive too. It's more expensive, and I had I did the study abroad, and then I had to get a Work, job. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other summer. Sure. Um, but other students need to stay on campus during the summer to take more classes, take other take retake classes. Can't go home. Um, research. Research. They there's important things that people need to stay on campus for, and the Pell Grant is now available if passed. Um, year round. The other side of that is that they didn't index that Pell Grant, so if money continues to rise as inflation does, um, the Pell Grant will be worth less and less money. It will go not as far. Um, it will stay the same amount even as tuition rises, even as inflation rises. Um, and so there, that was just a way for them to keep the funding pretty much the same, but not a way to actually increase access in the long term. So I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to put a pin uh, in what you are going to say next, Anthony. So this is the problem. So in name only, it looks good. The effect it has, so intention is not good enough because there's impact. And the impact is not going to be great in several years because tuition is going to continue to rise so it's going to push more and more people out. And a lot of the people that it pushes out are black and brown people, let's be honest. Some poor white people or people with in lower socioeconomic status, so I don't want to exclude anyone that it's pushing out, but I want to highlight the effect um, because the impact is great and the intention may be good. I, I doubt it looking at the administration in which we are, however, I'm going to, this weekend I've learned that I need to extend even more grace. So I'm going to say that perhaps they thought they were doing the right thing. I'm not convinced. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, And yet, I do know that this is going to touch on lives and it's going to affect real people who are attempting to pull themselves up from the bootstraps. You know, my favorite phrase in the world, not... um, to do something different, right? Because if you are stuck in an area, um, a part of the country where education is not readily available, and your family, your parents, maybe your grandparents did not go to, on to beyond high school, it's going to look more and more bleak for you, especially when 
finances are slashed or um, their budget cuts to education and the uh, availability or wide availability to that uh, funding. All right, back to Anthony. I'm off of my soapbox for now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a it's a great point, and that's what the the Congress was trying to implore uh, Secretary DeVos to explain more about because they couldn't understand how they could be trying to support HBCUs and right other colleges that serve these communities and at the same time be cutting their funding for these programs, help in um, many different areas like reading access programs or college literacy program, college financial literacy programs and those kind of things that were benefits for them, um, but at the same time saying that uh, we, we are going to try to support the HBCUs. It just wasn't, it wasn't really working out for a lot of people, um, mainly a lot of Democrats. Uh, a lot of the Republicans chose to focus a lot on the technical education and the need and maybe the push from a four-year education to more of a technical education. I think that a lot of times a technical education is important for certain people. Sure. And that that is a way for you to find your own path and yeah. not a, a four-year college is not for everyone some people don't even need a community college. Some people just need a technical education. My mom only has a technical education in um, cosmetology. And those are great paths for a lot of people. But at the same time, the the administration was cutting programs for that, too. Um, so you can't win, friends. You can't win for losing. And the thing is, too, um, who is it? Mike Rowan? I don't know. Mike something. Um, one of my best friends, Christine, will be like, Shadima, you should know his name by now. But he, I think, has his own podcast, but he does a show called Dirty Jobs, and Mike Rowe. And he talks about, there was a video that I actually posted on my personal Facebook page about how in this country in particular, we push so much for your education. And truly, that is not for everyone, like you said, Anthony. And everyone's not going to be able to access it. I mean, mm-hmm. pretty soon, it's yeah. going to be really di- challenging given the way that this administration wants to go. Um, you know, and technical education is not looked at in the same way, and maybe we need to start looking at it that way. But I wouldn't want to tell a student, no, you only are worth going to a technical school and mm-hmm. you're not worth going... Because that's, that's where I think we could this could end up going. Yeah. Whereas I want people to feel empowered in everything that I do. I want people to feel empowered to make the decision that works best for them and their families, right? So if you feel like technical education is your best bet, and that's where you want to go, bearing in mind that you can work for a few years in that arena and go to a four-year school if that's Mm -hmm. what you want to... Because no one is going to go from a technical school, right, to law school. Like, that's not Mm -hmm. going to happen. You need a four-year degree to go on to most, no, all professional schools, whether it's pharmacy, med, med school, medical school, law school, um, what have I missed, dentistry, business, business yeah. and um, public policy, you're going to need a four-year degree. So that route might work initially, but if you do want to, if you decide, I really want to get into XYZ, but you need an advanced professional mm-hmm. degree, or even a 
even in grad school, you need a four-year degree. There's no one that has a PhD that doesn't have a bachelor's. Mm-hmm. Even if it's in a different country, like you still need a bachelor's degree. So a technical school will only get you so far if you want to continue to pursue yeah. formal education. Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, a large turner of this is the socioeconomic status and the financial issues that are that I'm trying to help address because a lot of times people believe that they can do a community college and then go to a four-year college and that will help soften the blow which in many cases it can be very helpful um, but sometimes like if you're trying to transfer into the University of Michigan a lot of transfer students have a hard time finding a lot of classes that can match up And that can then end up costing a lot of money on the back end um, because you're not actually getting your full money's worth. You're spending money in community college and then you aren't realizing that these credits will transfer into a four-year degree program. Until it's too late. Until it's too late. And And it can be very challenging and a lot of people don't understand that. And at the same time, you have a lot of people who want to go into a four-year college but are doing so only because they get the funding and they see like, oh, I have this money that is coming to me, but they don't realize that these are loans, subsidized or unsubsidized by the government that will be, that will come up and then you'll have to pay those back. Um, It's very challenging. That was me. I was a fool. (laughs) Even with educated parents, I was a fool. And so, yeah, it can... I mean, that's why that financial literacy is so important um, so that people know exactly what it is that they're getting, in which they're getting mm-hmm. into, right? Yeah, the that is a very, very tricky spot. And a lot of times the language around funding can sound compli- complicated sure. and really a lot of people just understand one thing which is like scholarship they're like that's free and then everything else they if it's underneath that kind of heading where it's like oh you're funding people just either assume it's free or just don't know and they're just gonna like play it safe Mm -hmm. um and they're like very unsure of what this money is they don't understand that a Pell Grant is not you don't have to repay that Mm -hmm. that's just the money from the government but certain loans those are even if it says like federal loan that still has to be repaid to the government Um, and that's not the same as a federal grant Um, and then merit scholarships or other scholarships um, fellowships there's so many different terminology and different differences that come up when you're talking about finances when you're in higher education sure in post-secondary education that it gets very confusing very quickly for a lot of people and here at the University of Michigan we're playing around with that idea right now of how to simplify it, how to streamline it, how to make it one message to those who whose families need this information, but most likely aren't able to get through the whole mess of it. Right. That's awesome. Well, I'm sure we could talk for a really, really long time. And sadly, we can't. Um, but may want to get you back on at another time um, as you continue to do this good work because it's really important. So where can students who are 
attempting to come to an institution like the University of Michigan or even pursue additional schooling, where would you suggest that they go so that they get some information that could be helpful in navigating the financial piece of attending a four-year institution? So the, the base bones easy answer is if you go to um, the Secretary of Education's website, they have a college list. Is of, it still up? It is. Okay, good. And it is a, a large kind of document where you can search by state or types of schools, and it will bring up all the different statistics that they have on them that schools are um, have to report to them. Um, and then they will tell you the uh, the approximate amount of like money of debt that the students who graduate from will get into, um, and that gives you a good estimate of like if I go here as an average student. Um, but if you have your heart set on certain schools like University of Michigan or um, private schools or community colleges, I would really implore you to go and check the financial aid websites for those colleges and feel free to reach out to those offices. Um, there are a lot of counselors there and they have been trained with many years of training to accurately assess the types of need that you want um, and can a answer general questions. Sure. And that would be a great place to start. That's awesome. Did you read the um, article that University of Michigan is the top number one uh, public institution yeah, in the country? Yeah, I did see that again. <laughs> so here we are, friends. We are top. Um, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to sit and chat with me, Anthony. I really appreciate it. Alrighty, so a couple of stories um, from Humans of New York. So this appears to be a guy, and it says, There's a lot of pressure being the child of immigrants. My mother is Thai, my father is from Chile. They met while working at a restaurant. There's a knowledge among first-generation immigrants that they aren't going to be the ones to achieve the American dream. They have to work hard and struggle so that their children will have a shot at it. So they educate their children and pass the dream along to them. And now I have an obligation to make more F-U-C-K-I-N-G money than them. So effing. To live the American dream, to validate all the risks they took and everything they went through. And that's a heavy burden. I think I read that before on the podcast, but that's okay. All right, so let's see. Two men, it says, we're, we're eye doctors. What's something about the eye that most people don't realize? The eye doesn't see, the brain sees. The eye just transmits. So what we see isn't only determined by what comes through the eyes. What we see is affected by our memories, our feelings and by what we've seen before. I love that. And last but not least. All right. Um, appears to be a young woman. It says, I think I sell myself short sometimes. I'm afraid to ask for what I want. Some, 
I'm afraid to ask for what I want because a part of me is afraid I don't deserve it. So, all right. Thank you all so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you for your support. Write a review, subscribe to the podcast anywhere you listen and get your podcast fixed. I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me, there is only one of us. So have an amazing gratitude-filled day, friends. My name is Shadima, and you're listening to the Type A Hippie Podcast, GCAS episode 50. Take care and namaste.